everybody. How you doing? I know what you're thinking. I wish you'd keep, keep that mask on. It's not funny. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, Happy New Year. You're looking good. You're looking good. We are delighted you're here. If you're watching at home, thank you for coming as well uh, and uh, being a part of our community to worship God on this uh, morning together. I don't know if you were here um, I guess about four or five weeks ago, our, our friend uh, T.A. Teak was preaching, and he was talking about when he got his uh, driver's license uh, back in high school, he had to go uh, to get the eye exam for his uh, license. And, um, and, and it reminded me of um, when uh, I went to the eye doctor with my mom, and he said to her that he thought uh, I probably uh, needed glasses. And I remember uh, that day, I was in fifth grade, I got this pair of thick uh, black uh, rimmed glasses, uh, nothing fancy, pretty, pretty bland, uh, <clears throat> uh, kind of manly. Uh, in fact, I remember taking it as a fifth grade kid. Um, uh, they made me look a little bit like uh, Clark Kent, uh, which probably speaks to the severity of my visual impairment. Uh, but I remember it was sort of like getting a, a fresh start uh, in life. Everything became uh, more vivid, more real, more, more colorful. It all uh, just kind of took on a, a, a sharper focus uh, it, it was, it was uh, in fact, I remember as soon as we walked out of the office, uh, I began to notice leaves on trees and birds that actually had uh, wings and, and, and feathers and, and beaks. Uh, and and uh, in fact, all of a sudden, for the first time, I was able to see the chalkboard uh, in my classroom at school, and my friends were willing to, uh, to shoot archery with me. And and, uh, and, and I could recognize faces from a distance. So in fact, I had to apologize to the lady next door because I've been calling her mom for about three years. Uh, that's not true, but, uh, but it does explain uh, why her husband always looked at me kind of funny. But I remember those glasses. Uh, they were like a superpower. Uh, you know, they just made a huge difference in my, my life. It, it was like a, like a fresh start, which is one of the reasons why uh, on this first Sunday, of 2021, as we sort of look into the new year, I am, I am frankly a little concerned because I think there are a lot of us who are suffering from an acute and serious vision problem. It's not the kind of thing that's going to be diagnosed by the American Academy of Ophthalmologists. Uh, it's not the sort of thing to be corrected by some sort of uh, man-made uh, lenses. It's a, it's a vision problem brought on by by almost an entire year of stress and anxiety, too much screen time. And, and long periods of, uh, of isolation and, and confinement. We'll call it, uh, we'll call it year-sightedness. Uh, the basic symptoms are blurred vision, uh, droopy spirit, uh, loose microphone on the ear, chronic soul fatigue, uh, a default tendency to kind of look down or, or look with suspicion at people who disagree with you, uh, loss of perspective, loss of hope, and, and worst of all, um, an impaired ability uh, to see the goodness and the providence of God. Does that sound familiar? Uh, maybe a better name for it would be uh, 2020 vision. Uh, and, and on this first Sunday of the new year, fresh start Sunday here at, at Faith Bridge, um, we're going we're gonna to go to God's word so that we might literally get a fresh look at how we can correct our 2020 vision and get a clear focus on the year ahead. So if you have a Bible... I want to invite you to turn with me to the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. If you're watching at home, grab a Bible right now. Uh, we're going to be working through this passage. Revelation chapter 22, the last book 
of the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. We'll begin reading in verse 6. And he, the angel, an angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Worship God. You know, in, in terms of, uh, of, of a healthy spiritual life, uh, vision is absolutely critical. Uh, Jesus, in, in chapter 11 of Luke, verse 34, says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. And, and, and you see that emphasis on sight reflected over and over again in the book of Revelation. Uh, back in, in chapter 1, uh, what uh, John heard God say to him was, write what you see what you see. And, and, and throughout the book of Revelation, that's kind of an ongoing theme. Uh, in fact, uh, we see the phrase, uh, then I saw, or, or then I looked in every single chapter in the book of Revelation except for, for two. That's why it's called the book of Revelation, right? Because it's a book that, that reveals. It's a book that reveals, which is kind of weird because a lot of times when people think about the book of Revelations, uh, they, they, they think about hidden stuff, right? Hidden, hidden messages, hidden prophecies, cheesy movies. But, but, but the power of this book, the book of Revelation, is what it reveals. What it reveals. And more to the point, who it reveals. And when it was written, uh, probably sometime around 90 AD, uh, the followers of Christ were in dire need of a clear and vivid revelation. Uh, the believers in John's uh, newly planted congregation spread out across Asia Minor, Minor were, uh, were facing relentless and, and ruthless persecution. John himself uh, had been exiled to a small penal colony called Patmos. Uh, these Christians were anxious and discouraged. They were tired, uh, uncertain, and, 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 and desperate for a fresh start. Uh, in, in short... Um, <clears throat> They had feelings and emotions and worries not unlike a lot of us who are in this room or watching online this morning. This wasn't a time for fuzzy, you know, kind of feel-good resolutions. What they needed was a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm so excited that in the book of Revelation, God gives us the perfect prescription for our 2020 vision. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ revealed in all his glory. Now, we're not going to try to tackle the entire chapter 22 of the book of Revelation this morning. What we are going to do is we're going to look at three short phrases that are going to help us to sort of reset our sights for the coming year. And we're going to describe them in terms of three simple phrases. First of all, a truth to trust. Second, a promise to claim. And third, a God to worship. A truth to trust, a promise to claim, and a God to worship. So let's, let's begin with a truth to trust. 
Um, I, I think most of us would probably agree that we live in a fractured, disconnected world. Our eyes are blurred by a fog of half-truths and screen overload and, and social media outrage. Uh, and we hear it all the time, that, that, that there, there's no such thing as truth. Truth is what's true for you. There's no such thing as righteousness or sin, truth or falsehood. It's all kind of gotten blurred together in this huge vat of, of like, whatever, right? It's, it's like the drunk, you know, who walked around and complained all day long. I've been asking people what time it is, and all day long I've gotten a different answer. Like, there, there, there's just no fixed point. There's, there's no sense in which you go, okay, this is the certain word. That's our culture. No wonder uh, there are so many of us kind of staggering into this, into this new year. But I want you to look, Revelation chapter 22, verse 6, because we don't have to be paralyzed by our dark uncertainty. After John has been led through this whole epic tale of, of, of struggle and, and ultimate triumph in the book of Revelation, an angel makes to him this bold, stunning proclamation. Look at verse 6. These words that you've heard, they are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And then he sort of just drops the mic. Like, like what the angel is basically saying to John and, and, and what this text says to you and to me is, look, it may, not, it may not feel like it. It may not look like it. You may not see it clearly. But what has been revealed to you, these, these words... Of, of triumph and, and, and hope and judgment and wonder, they are trustworthy and true. They are trustworthy and true. Now, just, just think about those two words for a minute in light of all that we've been through together over the last nine months. I mean, we, we, we've, what we've seen on our screens in our everyday lives has been blurred and, and, and distorted but there is a truth. There is one whose truth can bring all of this back into clear focus. And it's the same God who has spoken through the spirits of the prophets and who became flesh in the person of his son Jesus. And what God says, what God says is trustworthy and true. Not, not it might take place. Not like, oh my gosh, like we hope it'll take place. Look at the text. Verse 6, it must take place. Place. Now, what that means, brothers and sisters, is that if your vision is impaired this morning because of bad news or, or biased news or, or, or fake news or if it just feels like you're kind of sleepwalking uh, in, in the darkness of a bad dream, you've been invited, we've been invited by God to open our eyes to the good news that God has spoken in his son and his words are trustworthy and true. His words are trustworthy and true. I mean, what if, what if we just this morning, what if you made a commitment just this morning that every day in the coming year, before you even get out of bed, you just speak that one truth. Just that one truth. His words are trustworthy and true. His words are trustworthy. Let, let's just say that phrase one time. His words are trustworthy and true. Let's say it out loud together. If you're watching at home, you just say it right there. Let's try it together. His words are trustworthy and true. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's an amazing truth. I don't care if you're a teenager 
or if you're a child, or if you're a grandparent, or, or a parent, or if you're watching this in your pajamas, if you're sitting here today, if you're a single person employed, if you're unemployed, if you're a person with uh, pre-existing conditions, or you're a masker or a non-masker, uh, if you are struggling this morning with year-sightedness, Revelation 22.6 invites you to correct your 2020 vision with truth you can trust. But then... Let's go back to the text, because no sooner do we hear the angels say these words of ringing confidence than we hear this new voice on the stage of chapter 22 in verse 7. Verse 7, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, uh, let me just stop here for a minute and say we don't know anything about how it sounded uh, when the angel spoke to John in, in verse 6. I mean, who who knows how angels sound, right? I think most of us probably uh, imagine that they sound kind of like a, like a quiet, uh, echoey, you know, librarian vibe, uh, you know, kind of the good witch of the East uh, with the vibrato, you know, and, and, and reverb or something. But there must have been something commanding. There must have been something unique in the sound of the second voice because we're soon to realize in verse 7, this is the voice of Jesus, this is the voice of Jesus. And I want you to be careful to note the words, I am coming soon, because those two words, I am, throughout the scripture, this is kind of the way God always makes himself known. The great I am, right? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the resurrection of life. I am the good shepherd. I am coming soon. And you know what's interesting? In the book of Revelation, John describes Jesus' voice in chapter 1, with, with two different uh, metaphors. Uh, in verse 10, he says it's like a, a trumpet sounding, so it, so it must have been loud and piercing. And then in verse 15 of chapter 1, he says it's like uh, the roar of, of many waters, so it's powerful, it's, a, it's authoritative, kind of makes uh, you know, Morgan Freeman and James Earl Jones sound like Mickey Mouse. But what's even more stunning about that voice is not its sound, but the promise that it makes. Jesus says in verse 7, behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So what we have here are two profound promises in one verse. Let's look at each one. I am coming quickly. As a culture, uh, we, we spend billions of dollars every year to celebrate the first coming of Jesus as a baby in a manger. And to be sure, it is a birth worth uh, celebrating, but, but there's this loud kind of striking silence when it comes to conversation about that same Christ who promised us that one day he would return to earth, not as a baby, but as the Lord of all, heaven and earth. And I'll tell you what, I think it's because, uh, it's because the first coming of Jesus uh, feels kind of manageable, you know? A uh, babe in a manger, swaddling clothes, Christmas cookies, you know, uh, sort of frosty goes to the Holy Land. It's, it's, it, it's surprisingly easy, isn't it, to, to miss the power and the wonder of God becoming man. People do it every year. It, it's possible that some of us right here this morning, some of you watching right now, it's possible that this was our story, even this year at Christmas. But what the scriptures assure us about the second coming of Jesus is that it will be absolutely impossible 
to miss the power and the awe of his return. When Jesus described it, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, he said, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And what Jesus says to John about this amazing moment where the Lord of glory sort of steps on the stage to draw close the curtain of history is that it is coming soon. It's coming soon. Now, of course, the elephant in the room is the when question, right? Uh, when is this amazing story going to actually uh, unfold? I mean, try to, <clears throat> try to imagine, um, let's say, a church uh, hosting for their community a, a massive uh, drive-in movie event. Uh, but when we get there, uh, we look around and we see all these cars just kind of parked in the dark, staring at a blank screen, expectant and hoping for a show, but they see nothing. And, and, and you can't help it. You're going, well, what, what's, what's the story? When's this actually going to happen? How long do we wait before we just decide to give up and, and go back home? That's kind of what it feels like when we hear these words. But let's understand something very important. First of all, uh, the word translated soon here is probably better translated as quickly. In fact, some commentators say uh, that it's probably best understood not so much as right around the corner as right on time. Right on time. In fact, uh, the Greek word that's used here, taki, is probably the word from which we get our English word taxi. Taxi. In fact, imagine, imagine uh, somebody who's standing on the street, they're waving and they're flagging and they're yelling and they're getting all flustered and just when they're ready to kind of give up, the taxi pulls over and picks them up right on time, right on time. See, the Lord's coming, let's, let's be honest, the Lord's coming is probably not going to fit your schedule, it's probably not going to fit my schedule, probably not going to fit John's schedule or anybody's schedule except for God's schedule, but he's coming, and he'll come right on time. God is not some author trying to kind of figure out how to finish up the story. We're already in the final chapters with Jesus' birth. We're already at the beginning of the end, and for those of us who, who know Jesus, who wait for his return, that, that ending leads to a bright and secure future with God. He's gonna come quickly at a time we don't expect and at just the right moment to fill God's purposes, that is a promise we can claim. But with that first promise comes a second. Go back to verse 7. Blessed is the person, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So here's a promise of blessing to those who wait in patience uh, and faithfulness for this coming. Uh, you know, living in the middle of a, of, a, of a divine promise between the already and the not yet can be, can be uh, disorienting. It's like that moment when the guy swings, you know, from, from one trapeze and he's now in midair before he's caught securely by the guy on the other trapeze. That's, that's the life of, of faith. That's the, that's the life of hopeful waiting that you and I are called to. That, that's Noah building an ark when there wasn't a cloud in the sky. That, that's Abraham painting the nursery when his wife was 90 years old. And he was a sprite 75 with a gleam in his eye. That, that first century group of Christians, 
That's what they were doing when they refused to bow the knee before Rome because they knew there was a higher kingdom and a better king. It's a life lived faithfully in the in-between, in the in-between. And for us this morning, in practical terms, that means living each day suspended in a place of patient obedience. It means we don't keep checking our watch, like, 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 like when's he going to get here? Like, we don't go chasing uh, out onto the sidewalk every time some new age, you know, snake oil salesman or politician pulls up in a taxi so they can take us for a ride. It, it means we don't panic when evildoers do evil. In fact, the, the, the angel who spoke to John in verse 6 actually told him in verse 11, hey, hey dude, evil people are going to do evil things. Don't freak out. That's going to happen. Don't, don't panic. Don't, don't go on a, a Twitter rage. Keep the words. Keep the words. Do what God has told us to do faithfully day in, day out. He's coming right on time. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, age 39, sitting in a Nazi prison under a death sentence who probably captured it best when he wrote in a letter, we live each day as if it were our last, and each day as if there were to be a great future. We live each day as if it were our last, and each day as if there were to be a great future. What if each of us this morning had our 2020 vision corrected by that kind of perspective? That's, that's patient faithfulness. That's keeping the words of the prophecy of this book. That's, that's living into a new year knowing that we have truths to trust and promises to claim. That's how the gospel gives us a fresh start. But in this short passage, John saw one other vision that literally brought him to his knees. Let's go back to the text. Verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Like, worship God. I don't know if you've ever had one of those experiences when, when uh, it was a, a case of mistaken identity. Someone mistook you as the famous person. Like, I remember I had to tell my fifth grade teacher, no, ma'am, I am not Clark Kent. It, it, but, but now, seriously, I did, this, this happened for sure. True story about probably over a decade ago when everybody was kind of watching Seinfeld. There was sort of a period in my life where literally I would walk through airports and go to restaurants and people would come up to me because they thought I was Jason Alexander. They thought I was Jason Alexander. And, 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 and I looked at him, I go, you know, he is a good looking man. But, but, but you know, if, 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 they were, if they were nice and they seemed like decent people, uh, then I would just sign his name and thank him for watching our show. But it was kind of fun, right? But, but what we have in Revelation 22.8 is an unusual case of mistaken identity because John finally has a chance to see this one angel who's been, who's been speaking to him and he immediately falls down at his feet to worship because he thinks, he thinks he's seeing God. And, and by the way, this has actually happened this twice over the course of about three chapters in the book of Revelation. So, so John is not like super good with names and faces. But and we don't know anything more about how angels look than we know about how angels sound. But we can pretty safely assume they probably didn't look the way they're often depicted 
um, in art, right? It's not probably uh, this really bright, glowing, 30-ish woman, you know, or a little chubby, cute little flying baby, or, or, or a guy with a halo, uh, you know, buff, kind of Fabio with wings. You know, virtually every time you read in the Bible about someone encountering an angel, the very first words out of the angel's mouth is, fear not. Like, don't freak out. So, so the messengers from heaven, they must have been visually stunning and more than a little intimidating in their appearance. But what's important to note in this conversation is that when John began to worship the angel, the angel says to him, no, man, you, know, you, you don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Worship God. It's a two-word sentence, but it points us to the third critical corrective if we want to see this new year as we should see it because it points us to a very basic idea. We will see everything wrong unless we see God right. We will see everything wrong unless we see God right. I don't care how shiny, no matter how impressive, there is only one who is worthy of worship, one who is worthy of our allegiance, and that's God. We worship God only because, well, 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 we've already been told in chapter 22, verse 1, that the river of the water of life flows from his throne. Verse 2, he provides everything needed to sustain us, food and, and healing. Verse 5, we're told he, he's the light who puts away darkness. Again in verse 5, the Lord God will reign forever and ever. Our problem, the scripture tells us, is that by our very nature, we tend to see God wrong. We tend to see God wrong. G.K. Chesterton, the great philosopher and writer, described our vision problem as, as, as like looking through the wrong end of the telescope. He said we tend to magnify those things that are really not that big a deal, and then we tend to see as small and unimportant those things that ought to be magnified. Paul uh, says exactly the same thing in Romans chapter 21, but he puts it this way. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. One of the main reasons that so many of us find ourselves exhausted and discouraged at the end of 2020 is that our wrong views of God have led us to kneel and worship before empty hopes, shiny promises, phony saviors, and between the pandemic and the political turmoil, we have been distracted from the goodness and the glory of God. The Bible calls this sin. When I try to, when I'm speaking to teenagers and I want to explain to them sin, I basically say the best way to understand sin is just to take the word, spell it out, S-I-N, circle the center letter I. Because right at the core, right at the heart, right at the center of sin is putting ourselves in the center of a universe where only God is the rightful center. We have, in short, an I problem. An I problem. And it blurs our vision and it causes us to lose focus, and it leaves us walking in darkness because we kneel before the wrong gods. I, I, don't, I don't know the gods before whom you are kneeling this morning. I don't know if it's the god of success or, or political change or, or vaccinations or relationships or an uptick uh, in the economy. Here's what I do know. The angel prescribes very clearly the only remedy for our 20 
20 vision. Worship God. Worship God. Focus on God. Bow before God and him alone. The angel says in verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants, those who will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Lamb of God, that's Jesus, right? Who, who, like a lamb, was sacrificed on the cross for our sins so that we would no longer have to live under the curse of our, of our distorted vision. And, and on the name of the, of the forehead, that's just a, a way of talking about the fact that we belong to him. It's not a literal, right, tattoo on your head. It's, a, it's, a, it's an eternal tattoo on your heart that says, I bow before God alone. But what it boils down to is this. If you are anxious and you are fatigued after a year of tremendous stress and uncertainty, if you're here today or you're watching online this morning and you have a bloodshot spirit or a blurred heart or, 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 or maybe even a sense of blind rage, you don't need to suffer from your sightedness. There is a healing for our 2020 vision. It begins with truths you can trust, promises you can claim, and it's received by falling down and bowing before in confession and repentance the one God who deserves our worship. What that means if you're here this morning, or if you're watching from your dinner, from your living room, or maybe just sitting someplace right now, and you have these symptoms of year-sightedness in your own life, we want to give you a chance on this Fresh Start Sunday to have an eternally fresh start. The scripture describes it as like being born again. That's the freshest start you can imagine. But we have to ask. You have to trust the truth, claim the promises, and bow down before him. So I'm going to ask you right now if you'll just bow your head. I want to give you a chance on this first Sunday of the new year to say, God, you have healed blind people. I want you to heal my 2020 vision. I want you to heal my year sightest. There may be a lot of questions you have unanswered, but you know that there are truths you can trust, there are promises you need to claim, and a God before whom you need to worship. If that's kind of who you are this morning, you're watching online, you're in this room, I'm just going to invite you right now to pray with me a simple prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for loving me so much in my darkness and in my blindness. I know it is a blindness that comes because of sin. Because I put myself in the center of a universe where only you are the rightful center. And I know the penalty for sin is death. But thank you that Jesus died on the cross to pay the debt of death I owe for my sin so that I no longer have to be accursed, but you can open my eyes to a new life. I know I don't deserve this. I can't earn this. It's just your grace. It's your mercy. But I accept it by faith. Would you forgive me? Live in me. Love through me. 
make these blind eyes see by your great power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.